Greetings, race community. Brent coming in live with today's guest, Steve Rosfeld, who serves as Vice President for Development at the University of Cincinnati Foundation. And Steve and I haven't seen each other in about a week. Welcome, Steve. Brent, it's been too long, my friend. Good to see you. And thanks so much for the invitation. It's great to be with you. Well, speaking of invitations, the University of Cincinnati was recently invited to join the Big 12 Athletic Conference. They have joined the Big 12, and Steve and I had the opportunity to connect with many of our uh, friends in the sector at the Big 12 Development Conference in Lawrence, Kansas last week. The uh, KU team did an amazing job hosting, and it was a lot of fun to see you, Steve, and, and your team. They really, they really did, Brennan. It was great to see you and your team, and and kudos to the KU Endowment team for hosting such a, an incredible conference. As you said, we're making new friends in the Big Twelve at the University of Cincinnati Foundation, and I uh, just want to say hello and and, and thank you for, uh, for many of our Big Twelve colleagues who are uh, being so welcoming uh, to us Bearcats here in Cincinnati. Uh, people like Blair, you know, Atkinson and Scott Roberts at Oklahoma State. Uh, Greg and Stephanie at K-State and Cindy at West Virginia, for instance, just to name a few, have been over the top welcoming to us Bearcats. So just want to say thank you for uh, for hosting us, KU team, and, and everyone else in the Big 12 that's really opened their arms to uh, to the Bearcats. We're looking forward to being a part of that great group. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Steve, and I'm confident their fans will be far less welcoming. So we'll, uh, we'll balance that. Uh, but let's talk. Steve, uh, we've known each other over the years, but have mostly spent time kind of focused on the present and, and the future. And so I look forward to learning a little bit more about your history and what led you to this space. And as I've been asking recent guests, uh, I want to go back to your own college decision, which certainly is deeply rooted in what you're doing today. Uh, so take me back to Archbishop Moeller, junior year. Who was that guy? Uh, what was he into? And what led you to the University of Cincinnati? Wow. Going back in time a little bit there, Brent. It's it's fun to think about. I, think I mean, we were you, listening. I mean, Nickelback, Green Day. I mean, it was an epic time. Creed. Big, yeah. Big, big moment there, for sure. Late 90s was a special time for a, a lot of us. Third Eye Blind. I mean, let's go. <laughs> yeah, so junior year. Uh, at Moeller High School in Cincinnati, I was uh, I was I was getting ready to to launch my uh, I guess my short lived political career. I was getting ready to run as senior class president the year after that, um, and and really fell in love with uh, with leadership. Fell in love with uh, you know really serving a mission uh, that that you really are passionate about. And uh, Moeller High School was was a tremendous place for me um, and, and and our family really, uh, and learned a lot. Uh, you know, played basketball at Moeller High School, learned probably as many life lessons on the court uh, as as anything really uh, in my life. And and Moeller High School really helped to shape me. So um, I, I had really one school uh, in terms of. Just wait, well, you got to tell tell me about the campaign strategy. Tell me about the political uh, career. Shook a lot of hands, did a lot of uh, did a lot of uh, door to door, you know, uh, grassroots campaigning. Honestly, I, I was standing outside of of the beginning of class for probably two or three weeks at the beginning of that term, just, you know, shaking hands. And I don't think there were any babies to kiss necessarily, but I was shaking a lot of hands and and um, and really was was pressing forward with a vision uh, to really make this, you know, the student body and the student experience tremendous. And we had a great team and a I, great, uh, uh, great group of guys there. I walked through my kids school the other day and, and it's a K-12 school. All of the students are in the same building and it was right at the end of the school year. And all of the campaign posters were up for the incoming, you know, class leadership election. And, and I will say for all of the advances in technology uh, now we're talking AI. Uh, it does not appear to have really changed campaign strategy or execution in the high school context just yet. It was pretty much what you described. Well, and maybe we can talk more about this, but still, you know, going back 20 something years ago and still today, face-to-face -to -face contact is not, there's nothing like it, right. In terms of building relationships. And that's what we were trying to do once upon a time, but really, you know, that, that school still means a lot to, to me and, and our family. You know, I grew up across the street from my from my grade school, All Saints School in Cincinnati, and Moeller High School was right next to it. So I had about 12 years of walking across 
the street to those two those two schools and it just uh those communities still are really special places with a lot of special people and and our family uh still to this day is is really connected uh to the to those communities so uh, really that. yeah yeah and really speaks to our commitment to cincinnati you know i've uh I've been uh, here in Cincinnati. I think I'm fifth generation. Our daughter is now sixth generation Cincinnati. So we're pretty committed to this place. Um, and, uh, you know, we can certainly talk more about that and, and how and why I've chosen to be at the University of Cincinnati for so long. But uh, it well, really look, we, we see, you know, there tend to be kind of two two extremes in the sector, which which maybe aren't extremes because they tend to be somewhat common. You're either like advancement journeyman where you are uh, you know, going school to school around the country. We've had people that have done international stints. They've, they've canvassed the entire country. And then, you know, once in a while, you, you meet somebody that really is able to plant roots and grow. And one of the big challenges is, you know, how do you both stay committed to a place and an institution, but also advance your career, uh, which, you know, sometimes can be at odds with each other. You've obviously been able to to navigate that. And I want to learn, learn more about it. But first, I want to know about your undergraduate experience at Cincinnati. Um, what stood out, and it sounds like, from what I can tell, there was maybe just a second glimmer of political uh, interest and aspiration coming out of it. Well, you know, with a family of athletes, I like to say I was focused on my academics at the University of Cincinnati. My, my brother played football for the Bearcats. My sister was heavily involved in athletics in, at Cincinnati. I, uh, I had a I still do have an uncle that played. Uh, baseball for the Bearcats. So we are a Bearcat family and, and I've been a sports fan and a Bearcats fan for a very, very long time. So really, I did look at other schools, but I, I really had one choice and that was to 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 stay in town and stay in the in the community that I love so much. And as you said, went to the University of Cincinnati as an undergrad. I have a liberal arts background. Communication and political science was an interesting uh, synergy for me. Uh, we had a, a faculty member who was world-class in political rhetoric. And I just fell in love with how communication and, and rhetoric really helped to, to launch political careers, launch, you know, presidents uh, in, in, in certain times and, and really fell in love with that very niche uh, specialty in that program. And as you said, I was involved in, in, you know, national state and local politics. Uh, I had a, the honor of being in Washington early 2000s as a White House intern and served uh, there for a good amount of time and really and really fell in love with it. Um, but as you know, Brent, you know, sometimes life life throws you curveballs and, and priorities change. And for a lot of reasons, I wanted to get back to Cincinnati. Uh, you know, I was on that path to, to be the uh, the Washingtonian, if you will, um, you know, in that in that political space. But for a lot of reasons, I wanted to come home and wanted to be with family and and uh, chose to come back to the alma mater after uh, uh, an invigorating political career that was uh, that was short, but but really did help train me uh, for what I do now today, and really have helped to to you know position me for success in this advancement industry. But working on a presidential campaign, working on state and local campaigns is is you know for a lot of us really great training grounds in advancement. I don't think in the 150 guests that we've hosted that I've had any White House alumni, uh, former interns in in uh, in this role. What was that like? Like, what are the highlights? That's got to be kind of a surreal first day on the job when you think of the spectrum of first days that one could have. Do you know, Brent? You know they had those 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 fantasy baseball camps where they you can go spend time in spring training with the legends with all these baseball clubs and I'm sure it's a surreal experience for, for those individuals who choose to do that. It was kind of my experience in Washington for, for the months I was there. It was, it was surreal to see the, you know, the president of the United States up close in action, all the secretaries and the cabinet officials. It was kind of a fantasy world, really. But even like, there's a lot of interns in Washington, DC and on the hierarchy of like what the internship is. I mean, there's a big spectrum. Like you got to be at the white house. That's kind of, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, that had to be a lot of street cred with the other interns running around town. Right. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, I mean, it was, it was a true honor. We were doing really important work, you know, for the president when, when he was out traveling, we would ensure that, you know, uh, you know, the people he was working with were, were upstanding citizens of the United States and saying the right things and doing the right things, representing, you know, our country well. And, and we did our best to ensure that the president and his team was in, in good position. 
to do just that. So it was it was good work. It led to an opportunity to work on a campaign in 2004 and, uh, you know, just invigorating and, and real, a real honor service to the country. So I, I was honored to be a part of that. Um, and I really did see it as service, uh, you know, in many ways, uh, just like, you know, over 20 years at the University of Cincinnati right. in, this, in, this, uh, in this field service to the community. So well, it was really that, special. After that experience, uh, as you mentioned, it led you back to Cincinnati and pretty shortly thereafter getting uh, connected with an opportunity at the Alumni Association, which I don't know if that was a part of the foundation at that time, but just give me a sense of uh, obviously deep Bearcats affinity and connections through the family, but a lot of people have deep, you know, multi-generational connections to the university, but don't go and pursue entry-level roles or, or, you know, opportunities like you did. So who connected you? uh, And when you took that first role, did you have a feeling that this might be your career path or was it not maybe as profound? Well, Brent, I appreciate that question. You know, I think I'm a big believer in, in being growth minded, right? And, and, and learning from mistakes, learning from failures, learning from things that just didn't work out too well. And my last political job was running a mayoral campaign here in Cincinnati. And we really didn't have a good chance to win for a lot of reasons. But we, uh, you know, we, we were pretty proud about that campaign. But uh, it was time to move on. It was time to to pivot to to a different field. And, you know, I had some line of sight on advancement. I was an intern. I was the UC Foundation's first inter- intern a long time ago as an undergrad. And I had some good line of sight on what, you know, the value of the industry, but really had a, had a, you know, had an opportunity to, to uh, apply and interview for an alumni relations role. Uh, I, I did show some of that grit and determination because after several weeks of not hearing back, I, I decided just to go there myself into the HR department and I shook some hands there and I stopped by the, uh, the alumni association offices and introduced myself to a few people, including uh, my, the person that hired me. And uh, that person now is a colleague and a, and a, and a peer and a, and a great friend. And that's Jen Heisey, uh, who is the vice president for alumni engagement here at the University of Cincinnati and the UC Alumni Association. And she's a leader in this industry. Many of you listening or watching probably know that name. Uh, but she, she hired me. She took a chance on me. And uh, it really worked out. Can I just out. ask, like, you know, showing up, bold strategy, sounds like it paid off. If Jen were on this podcast right now, what's her version of that story? <laughs> we, we liked the initiative or what's this guy doing here? Wait, what? She 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 comments uh, frequently that she appreciated the determination of showing up and uh, asking for help and asking for what you want to see happen. Right. And I guess that's the the salesman in me, perhaps that's that was ingrained by my father who spent 35 years selling at Procter and Gamble. I don't know, but it was uh, it was a reflection of how deadly serious I was of, of being a part of the uh, University of Cincinnati and Bearcat community. I think she appreciated it. Hopefully it wasn't too annoying, but um, but it's a good lesson for all of our, you know, our colleagues is to, you know, show up, ask for help, be be very specific and 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 seek out people that could have some influence on your life. And and, uh, you know, looking back, you know, me showing up like that and uh, and and asking for help was was an important inflection point uh, in my life, and my career. Ironically, Brent, just a quick story. You know, when I was still trying to decide what to do when I grew up early on in my career, I applied for, you know, a, a position, a political position that was going to be out of uh, out of Columbus. So I drove up there and had an interview. It was going to be working with a, a certain senator um, at that time. And, you know, one of the last questions of the interview was, what don't you like to do? And my answer without hesitating was, I don't like to fundraise. And I could tell that was the wrong answer. It was the honest answer, but it was the it was the wrong answer. And at that time, political fundraising, I'm, I'm not sure how it is now, but, you know, necessarily. But back then, it was very transactional. You know, I was hustling around town collecting checks, and it just wasn't fulfilling for me. And I, and I gave an honest answer. And it, I, I bring that, I bring that up because a, it's pretty ironic knowing what I do now, but, but B really is, is, you know, certain inflection points uh, in your life. You know, if that conversation went differently, what, what could have been right. Or if I answered that question, not in an honest way, what could have, what could have been my path, but 
nevertheless, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I answered it the way I did. It led me to really be hyper-focused on higher education, specifically University of Cincinnati. And close to 20 years later, uh, it's been a just a perfect synergy of doing what I love, serving a mission that I love, and making the impact uh, that I think a lot of us care deeply about. And so at that time, that's a great story, and it is definitely ironic. Uh, we'll come back to it. You're working with Jen, specifically with the Alumni Association. Was it a part of the foundation at that time, or was it distinct? We were a separate 501c3. Yeah, yeah. for 100-plus years, that organization existed as a separate entity. And um, that changed five or six years ago. Uh, yeah. We had a president at the time at the university, now running University of Michigan, Santa Ona, who had a, a bold vision to bring together our foundation, our alumni association, and the UC Health Foundation, all under one umbrella organization. And that's how we exist now. But back then, we were a separate um, uh, entity with a lot of autonomy. And there's certainly been a wave of merger and integration, and you all were in the early, I think, part of that wave. It's it's continued to play out around the country. But but I think maybe part of the reason that wave has played out is is somewhat reflected in a role that you held at the Alumni Association, which is in spite of not loving transactional fundraising, you took a role as director of development where you then were fundraising on behalf of the Alumni Association, which might be one of the most confusing fundraising pitches in the industry where, I mean, you, you am I right? Am I wrong? Like, I just think part of what you were trying to do is part of why we've seen the merger and, and, and integration to create a simpler story to constituents. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, going back to that, to that point, it was a difficult pitch. Uh, it, it allowed me to really hone my message and, and become really disciplined with the impact that uh, donors could make because we had to tell that story specifically. So we talked about scholarship programs going to legacy families to the University of Cincinnati with a lot of details and a lot of precision. We had to, to hone in on that message because it was a tougher sell. We went from a very strong membership model that existed for a very long time to a philanthropic model uh, that allowed us to be successful you know, in raising funds for scholarship uh, for, like I said, for those families. We also raised funds for facilities to help you know, increase the alumni engagement experience. And, and our, our alumni house was, uh, was renovated in, in many ways because of that work. Uh, but, you know, asking for money in terms of building out a, a robust homecoming parade, for instance, was, was, a, was a tough sell, but, it, you know, we, we worked it through and we, we grinded and we, we had a lot of great uh, conversations that led to uh, the operating budgets increasing significantly, the endowment respective to that organization increasing, you know, significantly. And, and looking back, you know, I'm glad I did that work. It was difficult, but, you know, again, through the, through the thread of being growth minded, it allowed me to, to hone a message, to be crystal clear on the impact donors could make and to, you know, really talk about that vision with a lot of energy and a lot of passion. And certainly, and as you know, Brent, in alumni engagement, you have to have that. You have to be authentic. You have to understand uh, the value of, of your given institution and, and talk about it with a lot of gusto. And, and I, I think we did that. And, um, you know, I'm proud about that work. But it really did, again, back to inflection points professionally. The political experience helped me. That experience very specifically helped me. And, and both those two instances led me to a really exciting role at the, uh, at the Lindner College of Business at the University of Cincinnati uh, that really helped launch me into uh, the development field in higher education. Did it ever feel competitive with other fundraisers around the university? Like, was there ever a dynamic of you're talking to the same family that somebody from the College of Business is talking to? How did you coordinate that? And, and maybe that tension yeah. still exists. Maybe it's always a part of, of development, but, but that structure maybe might have made it a little bit more inherently competitive. No doubt. And, and you could look at it that way and, and kind of dig in, or you could you know, flip the script and, and really build the internal relationships that you need to make it more of a collaborative conversation than competitive conversation. And that's really the approach that I took. 
Um, Brent, you've worked with a lot of people over the years. You know, there's 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 two different ways of going at a very collaborative type of role, and that is to flex your muscles and dig in and and and, and go at it with your head down, or really elevate up and, and build internal relationships uh, in a way that that builds trust and and builds a, a good collaborative spirit. And that's what I did then, and I think it's an absolute critical point for our colleagues throughout the country. Is you know, regardless of of the type of role you're in in development. Those internal partnerships are as important as those external stakeholders you're engaging. If it's a faculty member, if it's a clinician, if it's a development colleague, if if you're operating as as an independent contractor in this business, it's not going to go well. You know, so so really, again, to your point, Brent, it allowed me as as a professional to really quickly understand how important those those relationships were, so that I can sit down not only with the donor and articulate the value of, of our alumni association, but really sit down and, and, and bring colleagues on board so that, you know, we can amplify giving uh, in a way, you know, my first significant gift, our first significant gift from a, from a major uh, uh, gift perspective for the alumni association was a blended gift. And it was a gift to two colleges and it was a gift to the UC alumni association. And I'm convinced back then now, how many years ago, 15, 17 years ago, whatever it was, you know, that, you know, if we, if we would have parceled that out, the gift would have been smaller, just very practically. But our effort to bring three colleagues together, talk about what a collaborative vision could be, uh, really did help to elevate and amplify that gift. That was my first gift uh, uh, at that six figure level of my career. And I still remember that. And then that led you to join the business school, which I imagine very, you know, to the point of honing a message, a, a, a more well-defined constituency, right? Alumni association. One of the challenges that I see with most alumni associations is they literally have to be all things to all people. We have to serve the youngest and the oldest and the closest and the most, you know, far away and try to be welcoming to, to everybody. Uh, whereas, when you're in a development role in a specific college, like the business school, specific constituency, you can be probably inherently more focused. The top uh, employers of the business school, just to give context, Fifth Third Bank, Procter & Gamble, Fidelity, Kroger, Amazon, uh, you know, GE, et cetera. Um, so what was, like, how did your, like, you're still selling the University of Cincinnati, but in a much more focused way, how did your script change? I mean, what was that experience? And you spent quite a period of time with the business school. So my guess is it went quite well. Yeah, it did, Brent. I, I had I had the pleasure of having, you know, a great boss at the time that gave me gave me cover, gave me focus, allowed me to jump into the portfolio for a couple of years and and really build it out. I was at home because, you know, like I said, I didn't have a business degree, but the competitive nature of a business school is is um, is a is a healthy thing and is a good thing. Oftentimes, in other words, you know the the alumni are hyper engaged with the universities that they that they serve. Oftentimes, um, throughout the country, that certainly was the case here at UC. So, business school alumni are really engaged, which is great. Uh, the faculty are really smart, incredible people who are driven, who are working really hard. Um, and, and just the people in that atmosphere, I, I found to be, uh, driven and, and in a healthy way, very competitive. So I, I, I felt at home. I, I, that's, that's kind of who I am as well. So I thrived in that environment, especially, like I said, with the amount of cover that I had as a, as a, uh, junior member of the team focusing on fundraising. So we did, we had a very, you know, very clear vision at the time, uh, Luck, luckily for us, we had a new dean that was coming in, David Samansky, that came in and really helped to to shape a vision of growth and of, of impact in very measurable ways. Uh, the the dial moved very quickly. I, I still point back to the to the ingredient of uh, ingredients of fundraising success back to my early days at the business school, um, and and still to this day, I point to three really special ingredients to boil all of this down. Uh, you know, if it's a, if it's an academic program, if it's an athletic department, or if it's an entire university, if you have vision, that's ins inspirational, cogent, and clear, 
that's a really good ingredient for success. Secondly, if you have momentum, if you have results behind that vision, if you have a growth pattern that is compelling and inspiring, that's a really good special ingredient for success. And if you have urgency, if you have urgency to jump in and, 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 and it's, uh, you know, it answers the why us, why now question very clearly. If you can do that, if you can have those three things all moving in the same direction, you're going to raise a lot of money. Again, no matter what scale and scope you're looking at. So back in my early days of, of, of fundraising, fundraising in higher education for that business school, that's what we had. They still have it now, but that's what we were building together. And uh, just so appreciative of that, of that opportunity it really did. Again, one of those inflection points professionally that helps me and still does help me be successful in this work. I love that, Steve. Vision, momentum, and urgency uh, makes sense. When you think about those years, it had to be a fair amount of time on the road, recognizing that there's a strong concentration in Ohio, but you've got uh, alumni all over the place as well. Any trips stand out as going extremely well, or maybe even better, extremely poorly? Any just uh, great trips or? Yeah. 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 I, again, I think I, you know, I don't know what this says about me, but I, I learn a lot from when, when things don't go well. And, you know, I, I go back, we had a, a tremendous amount of visits and, and initiatives throughout the country, as you, as you said, Brent, but the one that really sticks out as you asked that question was a moment in time up in New York city, uh, where we were, we were sitting with somebody who had been disengaged to put it very charitably for 35, 40 years. But this person was incredibly successful. Um, and we were sitting in his corner office on Fifth Avenue. And we knew precisely that this person was charitable, was philanthropic, was, was building schools in the five boroughs, for instance, was really... Uh, deadly serious, if you will, about uh, ensuring that poverty was addressed in New York City, for instance. And we knew that. And I went in with a very narrow lens. I was trying to get this person who was 35 years removed from the University of Cincinnati to think that we were the best school in the world, that we were the best MBA program in the world. And it was just not there. It was not clicking. Uh, and yet we still, you know, wanted to drive the conversation toward what the business school was doing to make an impact. And it took a long time. It probably took us three to four years to get that person to make a gift to the University of Cincinnati for the business school. So on one side of the coin, the team did relatively well. Uh, after I got out of the way uh, to, to get a gift to the business school for scholarship. So applause to the team for that. On the other hand, I think a lot about what we could have done if we went into that conversation with a much wider lens. And I know they, they you know, back then they trained us and they, they, they provided us a lot of uh, incentives to collaborate, but I was so focused on B-School that it, it, it really missed an opportunity. So instead, instead of going into that conversation, talking about food insecurity initiatives at the University of Cincinnati, talking about the community impact the University of Cincinnati makes on Cincinnati public schools or uh, certain you know, communities in Cincinnati, I came in very narrowed and, and it, it, it was a struggle to get a, a very modest gift. Um, and, and I think it was a key lesson for me uh, and for us to say, look, you know, we have to be connected to the passions of our donors. We have to be better as a team and as, as individuals uh, to have fluency in other areas so that we can speak very fluently on, on uh, various programs throughout a very complex institution like the University of Cincinnati so that it doesn't take three or four years to get that, that first test gift. It could be much, much sooner than that if we're interconnected to donor passions much more. So it really has, that story has shaped our strategy even to this day. We can talk more about that. Uh, but that was that was a key learning for me early on in my career. Well, tell me more about, um, let me put you on the spot a little bit. 
knowing what you know now, if you were to walk into that donor's office, how would you frame the first 30 seconds, first 45 seconds of the conversation if you had a second chance to make a first impression? I would, I would dig deeper into why this person was investing in the initiatives that, that he was in the five boroughs and inherently understand his motivations and his inspiration. And then quickly look to connect that motivation and that inspiration to a certain priority at the University of Cincinnati. Right. So really right. just flip it instead of instead of feeling like you needed to lead with why us, you know, why we're great, really focus on deep understanding of what what they've done. A, it also shows the research and the yeah, you know, the commitment you've done to walking in prepared. Um and then I guess part of it is how do you like how do you muster a genuine interest in the philanthropy that they've done elsewhere um, as opposed to sort of leading them in that direction to hopefully, you know, pull them back your way? Like, like, how do you, how do you genuinely bring that interest to the discovery conversation when you've done it hundreds of thousands of times, uh, which I guess is part of what just makes somebody a good fit or not for the sector. You've got to genuinely enjoy yeah. Hear somebody's story. And, and if you if you feel like you have to fake it or go through the motions or go through the process just to get to the point that you can redirect the interest to something that you're working on and make the ask, it's probably not going to work out in the long term. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, and I think, you know, this story has has fueled our strategy. And and obviously, I think our 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 team strategy of 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 uh, having broader fluency in, in other areas is also inspired by this donor investor mindset that is becoming more and more prevalent. So in other words, you know, my hypothesis, I think a lot of people feel like this perhaps, but, you know, my hypothesis is that giving is going to be much more fueled on passions than, uh, than affinity, right? So I have a degree on my wall behind me, which is great. I love my degree. I love, I'm proud of it. But it, it's not necessarily going to be the reason why I invest in certain programs, you know? So I think we're going to have to adapt. I think we already are, but we're going to have to get very serious about adapting to more of the, the donor investor mindset. So relying less on, you know, the, the degree relying less on going into that meeting, talking, ready to talk about accounting, for instance, although we all love accounting, it may not be about that for that given individual. We have to be, uh, open and ready to to be fluid, to be adaptable, to go in with a plan that that takes us out of our comfort zone. So for us at the University of Cincinnati, we've started to build, you know, vision and and, and structures and strategies around enterprise wide uh, institutional priorities, uh, so that in the future, in the near future, when that business school fundraiser is in that corner office, they can talk about accounting, they can talk about, you know, the MBA program. They can talk about their their college as 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 you know experts, and they also can can talk about inclusive philanthropy, innovation and research, student success. Very broadly, those three areas are, are what we're building a lot of emphasis around, so that we can shorten the the cultivation and solicitation cycle. We can elevate giving and amplify giving because of the the, the cross functional dynamics of, of these mega gifts that are happening across the country. But really, we're, we're, we're also doing the right thing. We're also going meeting where, where our donors are rather than waiting for them to come to us. So we're really excited about it. You know, we have some work to do we, at the University of Cincinnati. We have, you know, 14 colleges or so uh, that we support. And, and that's going to continue to be the case. But we have to be more adaptable and more fluent on broader initiatives at the University of Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, we're, we're building toward that and we're pretty excited about it. Steve, I just hosted Greg Willems on the podcast and Greg was sharing, you know, he's had some pretty interesting stops on his career journey. Um, and he was pretty upfront about the fact that, you know, once in a while the recruiter calls and it's an interesting pitch and, you know, you pick up, pick up the phone and hear him out. And, and that led to a couple of, of his uh, positions, including one in Hawaii uh, of all places, but uh, without a doubt, during your time, you know, now we're talking through, you know, 2018, let's say at the business school, you're getting those calls, you're getting those emails, you're seeing people at conferences. 
um, but you're sticking with the university. And, you know, at the same time, there's 14 schools and units and there's other executive directors of development that maybe want, um, you know, to aspire for the different roles at, you know, at the university, you ultimately uh, were able to step into the VP of development role. Um, but how do you think, you know, how, how did you think about that commitment to the town and the university specifically when I'm sure you've been getting those those recruiter calls um, over the year? And how do you balance wanting to be a great team player with also wanting to compete for more leadership opportunities, you know, to aspire to, you know, to lead, which you which you said, uh, you know, maybe started back at Arch- Archbishop Muller. Yeah, I think it goes back to an early lesson, you know, my, my folks provided to us as kids, and that is to simply think about your priorities and to ensure that your life and your career is aligned to those priorities. Uh, so going back a long time, you know, I, I, I had a priority of serving a mission that I cared deeply about, uh, number one. Number two, I, I, I valued and I had a priority of ensuring that I was growing and I was making an impact. Um, and, and thirdly, I guess, I, you know, as a priority, I wanted to ensure that, you know, I was working with incredible people and having fun doing it. Right. We work really hard in this business, but if you're not having fun with the people you're working with, uh, then then you're not for me, at least I'm, I'm not as fulfilled as I could be. So, you know, over, you know, 17 years professionally, if you count my 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 student days as an intern over 20 years, those priorities have meshed uh, in uh, in this in this organization. Um, I, I will also say it's important to have new experiences, even if you have a strong tenure at a given institution. You know, it's not like I've been doing the same job for 17 years. I've, I've had three or four jobs that are materially different from each other. And, uh, and that has helped me provide a sense of, of invigoration that, that's helped to give me growth uh, in, in new ways. Uh, so it's not just a linear path over, you know, 20 years. It's been different roles in different spaces and, and engaging with a very broad, diverse set of stakeholders, which has helped me. Uh, find this really interesting, compelling uh, synergy, right? I'm doing what I love to do. I'm passionate about higher education. I'm passionate about, uh, you know, the nonprofit space uh, advancement specifically. I'm passionate in in the tactical work of helping to provide, you know, vision uh, to, to a certain community, helping to build legacies at, you know, family legacies that are real. And I'm doing it with incredible people. And that has all just come together here at the University of Cincinnati. So we'll see what the future brings. I, I love this. I love this town. I love this, this university. I love the people we work with. And I hope that it continues for a very long time. Um, Steve, you were an athlete. You talked about the Bearcat Athletes Connection over the years through your family. We reconnected at the Big 12 Development Conference last week, and I know that you have been really at the forefront of understanding and navigating the intersection of name image likeness, the changing landscape of higher education and athletics, the shifting of conferences, and you all joining the Big 12 as a part of that, and then the intersection of all of that work with with fundraising and, and affinity and Um, it's May 30th of 2023 as we record this. And so it's such a fast changing space that no matter what you tell me in the next few minutes, um, it will, it will maybe appear obsolete a year from now, just because there's, there's so many unknowns, but knowing what you know, right now, what should people understand? Like, what are the elevator sort of summary cliff notes on NIL, the intersection with advancement? And any predictions for where this heads? Is this on the record? I guess it is, Brent. <laughs> totally on the record. Uh, unless you say something you really regret, our producer Lillian uh, has a way with the situations. Lillian is our safety net. Uh, great. No, so you're absolutely right. Collegiate athletics is is in a time of incredible change. I, I can't, I mean, it's not hyperbolic to say that real transformation is happening right now. Uh, between 
conference alignment and realignment and and power conference consolidation that's really happening um and the transfer portal and nil incredible change over the last couple of years the big bang moment uh, in terms of creating a new universe was name image and likeness um, i will say that every obviously every you know state and every institution uh has to make their own decisions uh on what's best for them obviously you know there's what 35 40 states with some some guardrails some laws some legislation that gives some clarity state of ohio has that as well so we have some parameters there we also have some parameters uh you know with the fact that this is really important it's really important to provide a a very positive fulfilling experience to our student athletes very positive we need to provide everything we can to, uh, as an organization as a team to provide a meaningful experiences to our donors and our investors in this in this space but also do it in a very appropriate way and i think that to john cunningham's credit and our leadership of the university's credit we've been able to strike that that very good balance uh, this is a very urgent uh, critical priority uh, and a great opportunity for our student athletes and and we have been working as an organization appropriately to to help um, where this is going you know i i, I don't uh, i don't really know um, i think there's there's reason to think that the nil space will continue to expand uh, there's a lot of discussions around you know potential um, new arrangements around you know revenue and, and revenue sharing opportunities for student athletes that are i find very compelling but through all of that uh you know what we talk about to our team is that philanthropy is still the anchor philanthropy is still the driver of of real transformation in in people's lives uh, the data point that i continue to think about and reflect on is the fact that you know at the university of cincinnati for instance you know, we'll probably have maybe one to two percent of our student athletes make a professional living playing that sport uh, in the future. Uh, don't quote me on that necessarily, but it's a, it's an approximate, which which tells tells us and tells the team, you know, we have about ninety eight percent, you know, of our student athletes right now that, you know, are are going to need uh, everything that philanthropy provides, uh, you know, and and our. Uh, our priorities within athletics uh, to be day one ready for the Big 12 have been very clear. We, we need facilities that are world-class. We need new initiatives and new mental health services for our student athletes, knowing how much they go through, especially after COVID. And we need programs and sports that are fueled with resources to make the student athlete experience a positive one. So we are still anchored on that um, as a team. Uh, and yet we we understand the urgency of the matter and we're we're identifying new ways to navigate this uh this ocean that hasn't been mapped yet and uh i think the the last thing i'll say on the topic is is a lesson that i think i just try to remind myself of of you know just doing the next best thing you know if there's uncertainty if there's you know chaos around you if there's challenges around you um you know, just do what's what's the next best thing and, and, and do it and then move on. Uh, so for us in this NIL space, that's what we're trying to do uh, as an organization. This might be not as direct of an NIL question, but I know you've got a point of view on just where college athletics goes in general um, and sort of let's call it the implication or the intersection of um frankly, the profitability or lack thereof of college athletics within certain categories of the landscape and just the overall budget pressures that are being experienced by, by higher ed. And, and, you know, my, my understanding is there's around, right, there's around 350 D1 schools, 6,000 unique teams. Uh, there's around 30,000 unique teams across 1,100 or so NCAA institutions, but based on my read of our conversation last week, I mean, your point of view is there's going to be fewer teams in the future. Um, you know, tell me about some of the pressures you're hearing about within your peer group and how folks are, are navigating that. Obviously, Cincinnati in a strong position, given the power five, 
um, connection, but it sounds like that is going to become more important than ever uh, in the very near future from what you are hearing. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly don't want to speak for anybody out there, uh, but, you know, again, a lot of us are trying to bring out the crystal ball and and just try to make sense of where we're going. And I think it's fair to say that certain institutions throughout the country will be, and, and frankly, probably should be asking questions around what their core function is. What is their essential mission uh, in their community? And I think there's going to be some institutions that say, we're here to educate. We're here to, uh, you know, save lives, to, to, to problem solve, uh, to build leaders, but we're, we're not necessarily going to be able to support collegiate athletics at the same level uh, as we have been historically. Whether that's fueled by tough budgets or whether that's fueled by a reflection point that that institution is going to have uh, based off of the, 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 the reshaping of collegiate athletics, I don't know. But I think there will be some institutions out there that choose to take a step away from collegiate athletics and, and to uh, you know, pivot toward, for, for them, what their core function is. Uh, for us at the University of Cincinnati, we feel like collegiate athletics is at the core of who we are. Certainly, we're an ins academic institution and a research institution that has an incredible academic medicine program. But we also think athletics is at the core of who we are. We, we, that, that provides community. That provides, uh, you know, a sense of, of, of uh, belonging, if you will, for many of our students and our community members. So we're highly invested in, in its success. You know, we've had a, a great run. Uh, over the last couple of years, you know, our, our college football playoff appearance was uh, just incredible and it helped to increase applications to the University of Cincinnati. And we all know when you have an influx of applications for a given school um, that has been consistent over a long period of time, we've been growing uh, exponentially over the last uh, several years on, you know, and it's pretty unique, right, that obviously throughout the country to see that type of growth. And uh, I think it's fair to say athletics has been a, a major driver in that growth. And uh, we're unapologetic about how important our Bearcats are uh, and, and how it helps to fuel the broader mission at the University of Cincinnati and at UC Health. So, uh, you know, we're in a good position, as you said, we're day one ready starting in, in, a, in a month. Uh, but I, I do think the, the, the reshaping of collegiate athletics will change the game no pun intended, for many of our institutions and our partners throughout the country. And it just remains to be seen how drastic that change will be. Tell me about the next now campaign, where you are at the foundation. Are you hiring? How can people learn more? Stay in touch. We are about a year away from a timeline perspective of ending our uh, next now $2 billion comprehensive campaign. Uh, hopefully we are uh, one or two gifts away from meeting our goal. Uh, we're getting really close and it's because of the incredible team that we have here at the UC Foundation and the incredible donors we have in this in this city and throughout the country. Uh, but we are very proud about this campaign, how it has been uh, not about the big number. Uh, it has been about the impact that our donors have made to to reshape our our uh, beloved university and our in our beloved community. Uh, you know, there are there are programs, there are facilities, there are uh, certain initiatives that would not exist without the power of philanthropy. I just had the honor of going to the Ohio Innocence Project's uh, annual gala and and sat close to many of our exonerees and and the grace that those individuals give us as to the community gives us uh, as a community is is just so invigorating, so inspiring, and we can absolutely say without the power of philanthropy certain individuals will still be in prison right now for something they didn't do. And that's just one example of impact that this campaign has provided. Um, and there's many. So uh, we're pretty proud about the, the, the impact this campaign has made. We're coming to an end and we're thinking about the, the next era of philanthropy here at the University of Cincinnati. We are hiring. Um, we, we have a, a tremendous community of, of colleagues here at the UC Foundation that is becoming more and more inclusive. Uh, more and more productive. I think the best uh, culture is a winning one, and we're we're a winning team. Uh, we've grown our impact exponentially over the last several years, uh, and that's only going to continue in the future. So, if you want to be a part of a winning team in a great city and a great community, come to Cincinnati. It's a pretty special place. 
Love it, Steve. You're a good representative. Appreciate you sharing today and for all of your perspective um, over the years and would encourage everybody listening, look up Steve, Steve Rosfeld on LinkedIn, uh, shoot him a note, let him know you heard him on the podcast and, and stay in touch. You never know where it leads. Uh, any closing thoughts, Steve? Otherwise, we'll we'll wrap this up and, and kick off the week. Well, just two, two points, Brent. I would say uh, higher education has been at the forefront of change and has been at the forefront of, of problem solving. And we are, we are living in a very uh, interesting time, a time of great significance. And I think, um, you know, in terms of things that I'm hopeful of and optimistic about, I'm optimistic that higher education will continue to lead the way in terms of uh, finding solutions to the, you know, the problems that we, that we have as a society, a lot of things to be hopeful, uh, hopeful for. And I think the, Higher education space and the advancement space is is really fueling uh, that 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 optimistic uh, nature that I have, and hopefully a lot of us have. And then, secondly, and lastly, I would just say again, thanks, Brent, for the invitation. I'm really honored to be here. I, I'm also very passionate about uh, professionalizing this this industry, and you and your team at EverTrue have been at the forefront of that for for many years, and uh, it's a great honor to be with you today. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate that. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, my understanding is the University of Cincinnati is the first institution to start a co-op program, for example, which at the time was a wildly pioneering idea uh, over 100 years ago. And I think uh, at the same time reflects a lot of what the markets need from higher education, that people need from higher education today, which is how do we make sure that we are solving problems, preparing people, skills development, and, you know, driving that into uh, a productive, you know, workforce that that works for um, society and works for the individuals. And, and Cincinnati has been, been there from the beginning. And I think we're now in this sort of next generation of of reinvention, but a lot of those same principles are going to be more applicable than ever. So really appreciate your time, um, better understanding of your uh, past, present, and future, and, and wish you nothing but the best. And so with that, I will uh, close today's episode. Brent here signing off with Steve Rosfeld, who serves as Vice President for Development at the University of Cincinnati Foundation. Thanks, Steve, and take care, everybody. Thanks.